Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back, everyone, to the Flow Track Podcast. I'm Kevin Slade, joined by Gordon Mack, recapping day four and what a day it was. We've been waiting for surprises, we've been waiting for upsets, and they arrived here on Monday evening, a distance heavy day of competition. Gordon, how are you doing? Doing good. And your backdrop looks better now. Looks on a white canvas. You got some pictures as I was decorating your studio for you. You're welcome. I appreciate it. We got, what do we got up here? We got a, a pie. We got a, some oysters. It's very yeah. random here in the Mac household, but it's better than the white wall. I, I will agree. Maybe we'll add uh, even more. I'm going to decorate your house by the end of this. I'm going to be at your house so much that I'm just going to add my own personal touches here. But this was a short session. We had a couple field event finals, but really the meat of this day, Gordon, was women's 15, men's eight, and women's 5,000. And the headliner, I think we got to start with that men's 800. We had a big surprise, reigning world champion, the American record holder, Donovan Brazier, does not qualify in the 800. He finishes eighth in the final. Clayton Murphy gets the win, makes another Olympic team. Isaiah Jewett of USC pushed the pace and is rewarded with a second place finish. And Bryce Hopple had a great season in 2019 and has been the number two to Brazier's number one these last couple of years. He gets third over Isaiah Harris, but the big story, obviously, the American record holder will not be in Tokyo. Yeah, Donovan Brazier, he was in it with 200 meters to go, and then you could see it in his face in that final 150 to 100 meters to go. Just didn't have it to close in that final quarter of that race. And he said post, post-race that he's been dealing with a, a few, little bit of an injury bug, but he said there was no excuse. He said, what I've been doing, I, I should have been able to still make this team without it, and it's disappointing. And uh, it's disappointing for the world, right? You want to see the world champion at the Olympics. Uh, luckily, he's only 24. This isn't the end of his prime. He still probably has another four years of prime Donovan Brazier which should put him into at least uh, Paris 2024. But man, you really wanted to see Donovan at these Olympic Games to see what he could do. And clearly just he wasn't himself today. And that's what's crazy about these trials, man. Like mm-hmm. it is not a what have you done for me. It's what have you done for me lately and lately being only one race, which is this mm-hmm. 800 final. And I was just so uh surprise that hey even the best can fall short even the ones that you think are certainly locks this trial says no one is a lock you have to be able to do it on that day and we saw that here in the men's 800 yeah and you could just tell in the final and i know we speculated after the first couple rounds because people were asking brazier are you fully healthy 
or not. And it's difficult when guys are jogging, it's difficult to tell, hey, was that 146 easy or was that 146 hard for you? But you could tell after about 500 meters in this race that Brazier was going to be fortunate to get top three, just with the way everybody was moving. And with 300 to go, obviously that's where in Doha, he made that huge move. So we're like, okay, we're not going to see that Brazier today, but will we have, um, will he have enough to, to get the top three? And you know, clearly he's dealing with something and he didn't want to specify or go into it. He said with all the resources he has strength and conditioning coach with the resources of Nike, it's his job to be healthy. That's what he, he said. He took full responsibility for it. Did not want to make any excuses, but this was not, a, tech, a tactical screw up. This wasn't a positioning error by Brazier. This was, he just was not at full capacity when he needed to be. Obviously, if he was at his best, we've seen how fast he can run and how many times he run 144 low throughout his career. Like that's, I mean, he was running that during the indoor season this past year. Outdoors, we hadn't seen it as much, which I think is what prompted some questions and concerns about him. And then you saw the result out there today and just didn't have it with 200 to go. He knew he didn't have it. He described his race as shitty. Um, he also said, I know some people are interested in this and you're interested, Gordon, as soon as the race ended, is he running the 1500? He's come back in the 1500. He said, probably not. He said, probably not. Because I think it's just a matter of, of fitness. Again, if he tripped and fell with a hundred meters to go, or if he got boxed in and thought he could make it, but it was just an, an issue with with tactics or bad luck, yeah, you come back in the 15. But I just I don't think we're seeing Brazier at his full capacity right now. Yeah, it's a bummer, man. You just wish there was a way that all of our best athletes are all 100%, but which is the mm -hmm. nature, like we said, of the trials, there's going to be people who are 80%, some people who are 110%, and we just don't know until the day. And Clay Murphy, he's the one who found a way to be 100% at the right moment. You look back on his regular season, there was a race where he ran 147 and finished dead last. I think it was in mm -hmm. New York. And then he comes here and runs 143.17. It's an incredible mark for Murphy, especially when you look at his resume basically on the past year and a half. And yeah. he, he was holding on to something. He was waiting for this moment to put together his best race and – Murphy is back in the, the he gives, he's giving me like, you know, 2017, 18 Murphy vibes, six, six, 16, <laughs> 17, 18 Murphy vibes of like, hey, I can, I'm going to be the best in a final and I can be tactical enough to be able to pull away, whether it's a medal in the 800, a medal in the 1500, like the way he races, I could see Murphy winning the 1500 if he wanted to. I don't think he mm -hmm. will. I'm not sure if he's going to pull off the double, but maybe he does. Maybe he has all this uber confidence after wanting 143.17. But mm. man, Murphy looked good. He looked like seasoned vet. He looked like I'm a world, I'm a medal threat in Tokyo. That, that He's a gold medal threat. Definitely, yeah, gold medal threat, sure. Right. Yeah, no Donovan, who's, yeah. there's no, there's no, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's no David Rudisha anymore. So like, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. Murphy, you could argue is, the gold medal favorite maybe right now. Yeah, you get 100% make that argument. I think it's going to be one of those years where you get to the final and there's a wide open race for for gold. But 143.17, that's the third fastest time in his career. Does it off a negative splits too, Gordon? 51.67 and then a 51.50. I mean, smart running, 
sound running, peaked at the perfect time. I think, you know, you got to figure he's going to be able to continue this trajectory until he gets to, to Tokyo. Yeah, and he's a chance to go. I think saying saying you're a metal threat, I think, is selling Murphy a little bit short. I mean, you could see that yearly list, right? Dobek of Poland, 143.73. Are we going to be surprised if Clayton Murphy beats Dobek or Oliver yeah. Dustin of Great Britain or Elias Ngeni? No, he just beat Isaiah Jewett, who ran the fifth fastest time in the world this year. This race, you're right. No Rodisha. Brazier was the guy who was filling that gap. Looked like he was unstoppable. And my, how things change in two years. Murphy was last in Doha. Two years later, Murphy's winning the trials. Brazier's getting last. It's just a crazy, crazy turn of events. Let's give some credit, though, to Isaiah Jewett, who got this pace going. Uh, front runner, you said he had a shot. You said he had a shot, and he went for it from the gun. Would he hold on? And he did, and this wasn't a, this wasn't a matter of people falling apart around him. I mean, the guy, he ran 143. He ran 143 on, on his own, 143.85. Uh, just an impressive run for, for the NCAA champ to come back a week later and drop his PR again. Yeah, I mean, you, it's just wild – uh, Isaiah Jewett's career, obviously he's, what, I think a sixth year at USC, but like even in the past two weeks, Isaiah Jewett couldn't even get an auto qualifier into the NCAA final. He had to get in on time because he finished third in his NCAA prelim to Shane Strike and Festus Legat. And now 10 or so days later, he's running 143 leading basically from the start all the way until maybe the final 20 meters when Murphy passed him. And mm -hmm. the entire time I was watching a race, you were thinking, all right, do it, man. Is he in over his head? Is he, there's got to be a point when he falls apart because yeah. you see all the guys behind him. You see, you know, you see Harris, you see Hopple, Murphy. You think those guys are clearly going to make the pass in that final 150. But no one caught him except for Murphy, who had a 143 low. And he runs an incredible 143.8, huge PB. It's three-second PB from his 2019 uh, of 146. So, yeah, if he's in it, this 800 <laughs> team, these next few years, it's going to be hard to get because everyone is pretty young. Hopple's young. Obviously, Brazier's mm -hmm. young. Murphy's still in his prime. Now you throw in Jewett here. Isaiah Harris is still there. We could have, you know, eventually, it could be a 143 guy cannot make a world team. Like, I can see that happening in 2022. Yeah. And I thought going into this year, it's going to be an amazing trials race. But I thought it was going to be amazing for a completely different reason. I thought it was going to be a Hopple-Brazier showdown. I thought it was going to take the American record to win the race. We were going to see two guys under 143. And that's why track and field is unpredictable and you can't really plan around it. Or maybe you should avoid planning around it because one guy doesn't make the team and Hopple – Almost missed the team too. He gets third in this race. And Isaiah Harris was not too far behind him in fourth. But Hopple 144-14, you know, not at his best still, but gets the job done and gets to advance to Tokyo, get his legs under him. We could be talking just as we're saying, man, the season changed for Jewett when he got out of that prelim. Or man, the season changed for Murphy in Eugene. The season could turn right here for Bryce Hopple. He could go from third at the trials to Olympic champion, right? He was fourth last year. Brazier's out of it. We just talked about how wide open it is. He, he beats Harris by a couple tenths. So you'd say, man, a couple tenths the other way, he's not even going to Tokyo. 
But now that he has the opportunity, you gave him that open door, that slightly open door. You know, Hopple's running big and big moments time and time again. Now he's got time to go back, get right, and and prepare for for Tokyo. So he's a guy who can win gold too. If I would have told you uh, three, uh, basically January 2021, who the best women's American distance athlete is and who the best men's distance athlete in America is, you probably would say it's Donovan Brazier and Shelby Houlihan. Mm-hmm. And now both of them are not going to be at the Olympics. It's just wild what can happen, you know, obviously with injuries, with, with Shelby's situation, with doping, and, you know, anything can happen in the trials. What you think about the field is never what happens, right? We all make our picks, our top three picks. And we think, oh, yeah, it's obviously it's going to be Brazier, Hopple, and then Murphy. And then, nope, it's Isaiah Jewett. You know, so mm-hmm. it shows why this sport's awesome is because what you think is going to happen rarely ever happens to form. It's sports. This is what happens. But in, in ball sports, right, you catch a lucky bounce or an unlucky bounce doesn't go your way and totally changes the trajectory of a team and a narrative. And you think maybe, maybe running's a little bit more immune to that because – they're running and, and the best person is always going to advance and it's going to set up perfectly. And you can look at the numbers and get a good forecast, but nobody's forecast going into the year had Brazier finishing eighth in the 800 at the trials. But it does have that same type of volatility that other sports do because humans are involved. And, and anytime you have that part, uh, you're going to have you're going to have some unpredictable outcomes. I guess horses are involved too, like in the Kentucky Derby and the favorite doesn't win too. So I just should just say anytime you have anybody racing, anytime there's, there's a being trying to get from one end to the other, there's no way to forecast it. Travis just sent us this note, Gordon. He says, when Murphy was winning an Olympic medal, Jewett was running 154 back in 2016. So <laughs> everyone, not all you high schoolers out there or college kids or not high schoolers, or whatever. yeah, high schoolers, college kids who are running 154 right now. Yeah. Hey, 2024, you're going to be getting second at the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. A lot, a lot of people in the chat are talking about Brazier's, you know, coming back in the 1500. And I mean, that would be the ultimate story. But obviously, he's not going to risk if he is hurt. He's not going to risk further injury to do it. But my goodness, if he pops up on that start list for day one, will that be compelling? Because the talent is still there. And we talked last year in the, in the pandemic uh, season, you know, he runs the 335, closing ridiculously fast. Brazier could make the team if he wanted to. Brazier could make the 1,500-meter team. He's got that much talent, but it just doesn't look like it's in the cards for this year. So probably not going to see him in Tokyo at all, which is a huge surprise. Hey, I still think Brazier is going to break the world record in his career. He's just saving it for 2022. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, and he's got, he's got opportunities. You got 22 in Eugene, you got a 2023 world championships, 24 Olympics, and then a 25 world championships. So there's four in a row there, but this is just perfect evidence that you can plan it out. You can structure it. I thought Brazier was going to be the guy for the next several years. We, we had debated, is he going to, when's the next time he's going to lose to an American, let alone you know, not the entire team. field. <laughs> yeah, the entire the and you know it's at the end he probably packed it in there over those yeah. last few meters. But I put this in air quotes because it's still tremendously hard. But all he had to do was run one forty four 
13 to get that third spot. And you think, oh, in a bad day in the trials, he'll be able to pull out like a 144 low and be able to do it. But it wasn't there at all. And also feel you know, rough for, for Harris to miss out. He's always in the mix. He's made one team in his career, similar a bit to Kidder, another Penn Stater there who finishes fifth in 145. Oh, wait, but it's just brutal. It's a brutal, brutal event. And this meet does not really care about what you've done before. The gun goes off and everybody's equal at that point. Yeah. Move on to another event. We want to do women's 15. Yeah, let's see women's 1500. This was the Eleanor Purrier straight from the gun. Why did you push me off the track? That's just going to make me angrier and I'm going to run really hard and destroy everybody race. It was such an impressive display of dominance by Purrier, 358.03. And she mentioned in the post-race interview, because there was a little pushing and shoving at the beginning, she actually got pushed off of the track, but she said it motivated her to get out more. Like, hey, you're going to push me? Well, I'm going to keep going and you're not going to have anything to push. You can see here that stumble there all the way to the inside. And look at the, you know, and she, she has to look there back at like, wait, what are you guys doing? Like, why did you think that this was going to be okay? And she took about four steps on the, the inside rail, almost like a domino effect. You can just see it going left, left to right there. I mean, she never looked flustered, never looked in doubt. The only question was who was going to be on the team with her. And Corey McGee latched on right by her side. Uh, didn't let her go. Danny Jones was up there. Shannon Osika was up there. Jones started to fade. And Heather McLean made a move and passed a bunch of people in that last – well, she passed two people, I guess, in the last – it seemed like a lot more. <laughs> but by then, they were so spread out because of how fast Purrier was running. So we end up with a Purrier, McGee, and McLean, one, two, three. Yeah, I mean, McLean ran a – a great race, understanding that she didn't need to go into that top group of four or five women that were going with Ellie's pace and yeah. was able to kind of trust that she would be able to catch Osika in that final home stretch, and it worked out. And Mark Coogan getting two women on the Olympic team in the 1500, and he, he, you know, he mentioned on, a, on an interview on the internet somewhere about how, like, hey, you never see, like, El Perrier went to New Hampshire and yeah. Heather McLean went to UMass Lowell and they're both on the Olympic team in the 1500. And I think it's his way of saying like, you don't need to go to Stanford or Oregon or, or Florida, all these big schools to make yeah. Olympic teams that you can go to those small schools and talent eventually will rise to the top. But yeah, guys got to check out that workout Wednesday we did with, um, with, with El Perrier and Heather McLean and kind of watch that back. Cause Two of those women in that workout are on the Olympic team. So they did a, what did they do? They did a, I believe they did two by mile and then they did a four by eight and then a four by four. And they mm -hmm. ran their four hundreds in like sub 60. So they're showing that they're able to close well, but check out that workout Wednesday on uh, those New Balance Boston women. Pretty cool. When you were watching that workout a couple months ago, were you thinking, okay, that's first and the third of the trials? Well, I was thinking, oh, shoot, you know like it? Heather McLean. No, I was thinking Heather McLean might make the team. I was thinking that. And Mark Coogan was smiling at me. He's like, yeah, I'm telling you, man, people don't recognize she's she's gonna, she's gonna she's right there with Ellie. And then I got some other people taking like, oh, well, you know, maybe Ellie doesn't train as hard as she races. 
But Heather McLean held in there for that entire workout. And mm-hmm. the marks that Ellie was running and Heather were running were both impressive. And clearly, it resulted in both women making the Olympic team. Yeah, so McLean, 25 years old, in 2018, she was a senior at UMass Lowell, makes the semifinals at NCAAs in the 800 outdoors, runs 203.6. Her PB that year was 203.4. She goes to USA's, eliminated in the, the first round. The next year in 2019, more of a 1500 focus. She makes the 1500 meter final at, NCAA, at, at USA's. And finishes in seventh and lowers her PB to 405 in that in that event. Then 2020 gets a few races in. Weird year, runs a 405 indoors in the 1500. So she was in that group, and we were waiting for a while. Now this was back when we thought you know Houlihan would be in there, and we thought Simpson was going to be in there. But there was this other group that was lurking, and it included people like. McLean and McGee and Jones and Osika that were right around and Sinclair Johnson, you could say two hilts. But we just thought, man, this is it's too tough to crack into that top three. And then one by one, most of the top three came apart. And then this opportunity opened for McLean. And credit to her on that last that last lap to to or just when that move was made. I mean, she was you know two seconds back from McGee and Houlihan at 1200 and then closed incredibly well. She closed in 4836 over that last 300, which was, which was mighty impressive given how quick that went out. So an unpredictable team here, you know, Jenny Simpson finishes 10th. She basically said, Hey, I just didn't, I didn't have it. I didn't have enough to run four flat. And that's what it took to, to make the team. She said she wasn't ready. This ends her streak. She's made every single team since 2007. I mean, it's one of the most impressive streaks in the entire sport. She said she hasn't watched the Olympics on TV since 2004. This will be the first one since then. And in her lesson, you know, the sport goes on without you. And she said she was in really good shape in 2020. It got pushed back a year. We talked about, oh, is that going to help some people in terms of preparation? It's going to hurt some people. Clearly, Jenny Simpson was the people that it hurt. And you look at how she was running in 2020, and it makes sense given where she's at in her career as well. That you could say, man, she obviously would have had a better chance in 2020 than 2021. Not worth a whole lot now because the meet happened in 2021. Can't go back and change that. But I know that's something that you and I have been tracking, you know, ever since last year, trying to figure out who would have the benefit and who would be hurt from the Olympics being pushed back a year. I also want to give a shout out to Corey McGee. Mm-hmm. She made her first world team in 2013, eight years yeah. ago. And now she's still making world teams, in this case, an Olympic team. There was a lot of times when you felt like she might have peaked early when she made that team. Her PR was 406 in 2013. And then these were her PBs after 20, her season's best after 2013. So she makes a team in 2013, 406. 14, her PB, her season's best is 410. Then she runs a 409 and 15. Then runs a 407 and 16. Then runs a 409 and 17. Then runs a 406 and 18. So that's five straight years of not really showing improvement from your 2013 performance. Then 2019, she runs 404 
2020, 403, and now 2021, she's making the Olympic team, finishing second. To go five years of stagnation and not hang it up and be like, I still feel like there's something there. I still feel like if I just get it right, I can put together a perfect race and improve my marks and be in contention to make another team. It's kind of hard to like go five years of just stagnation. And for her to go through that five years and now the past three years be a 404, 403, and now mm -hmm. four, was she run in this final 402? Four, four mm -hmm. flat. She went four freaking flat, four flat yeah. In, yeah. in the Olympic trials final. It's uh, incredible uh, in patience and endurance for McGee. Yeah. I, I mean, she had a good 800 in her legs. And I guess you're, you're talking about before 2020. Basically, when you're talking about when her rise came. Like, yeah, because you know, in 2013, yeah. she made her first team, and then she kind of stagnated. It wasn't like yeah. making every team. She was kind of like just another runner who can make a final but finish like anywhere between fifth to ninth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where I really thought, okay, she's going to have a chance at a team was last year when she ran two flat in the 800. And I know it was hard to piece together results and what they meant last year, but I thought – I thought of her more as a 1500 meter runner and I'm thinking, okay, if a 1500 meter runner has two flat speed in the 800, they could be a problem. And she turns out she was added in a little bit more endurance to that on top of it. And, and there you go. And now she's on the team and she looked really good throughout this race, Gordon. It wasn't a, she, she, she latched right onto Purrier. She was confident and yeah. signing up to run with L Purrier, St. Pierre in the beginning of a race when she goes out that hard you need to be very bold. Like that's, that's signing up for a lot of pain with not guaranteed great ending involved. And she still did it, which shows me that she, she was extremely confident in, in her fitness. I mean, she was just attached to her a couple of times. She was even running wide on her. And I thought, is she going to pass her? Is she going to, is she going to take this race from Ellie? But no shame in losing to Purrier based on how hard she's been running. And now, yeah, McGee makes her second team. Uh, that many years after making her first one. That's an incredible story in this race. Yeah. Right by the left, women's 5K. I kind of, that's probably the one that went most to form, you could say, mm. right? The, the least number of surprises with the team of Schweizer, Cranny, and Schneider, right? You could say least. Yeah, we, we said there was four least, people. Least surprising yeah. ending. Yeah. Listen, Sorry. I'm going to quote myself about an hour ago. Uh, I was sitting right. on, on your couch, uh, and there were some folks over here watching the meet with us. Uh, I didn't know any of them. So I said to no one in particular, because I have really good social skills. I said, there has not been a surprise yet. And this is when they're getting ready to run the 800. And I know this was not my pick, because I obviously had like Brazier, Hopple, and Harris as my top four. I was like, I think, I think Brazier and Hopple were, are both going to miss the team. I was like, I would, I would not be surprised. Now, uh, only half of that came true. And people listening be like, Kevin, you're full of it. That's not actually what you said. But then, but then after that happened, then my, then my spidey sense went the other direction of, okay, but now we're going to revert back to chalk, which is there's four women running for these three spots, Schweizer, Cranny, Schneider, and Norris. Now, little did I know, Abby Cooper was not going to be a one-race wonder this weekend, that she was going to push it all the way to the line and make this thing a very, very interesting race because Norris faded back and it ended up being Cooper applying pressure to that big three of Cranny, Schweizer, and Schneider. Ultimately, she didn't have the close, but a, a sensational weekend 
Um, nonetheless, for Cooper running the standard in the prelim, that obviously had to take something out of her legs. But this was really about those three women up front. And I think Cranny, Schweizer, and Schneider, when you looked at their 1,500-meter PBs, their 5,000-meter PBs, it was expected that that they would be on the team. And Norris was the, was the wild card based on how fast she had run this year. But I would have been shocked if it was anybody outside of that group because me can't, it's 5K. I know it's hot and it was slow in the beginning, but event, you know, the, when your PR is that much better than everybody else, it's going to become evident throughout the course of 12 and a half laps. Yeah, and let's not forget when Abby Diagostino at the time, now Cooper, when she made her mm-hmm. Olympic team in 2016, she didn't finish top three. It took a Bowerman athlete in Emily Infeld just to declare ah. only for the 10K that okay. got her onto the Olympic team. And both all Schneider, Schweizer, and Cranny are all in that 10K. Mm-hmm. That's three opportunities of someone doubling, running well, and also feeling more in love with the 10K over the 5K. Do you think there's a chance any of those three women will, one, run the 10K, get top three, and then scratch the five? Because... I mean, do you think you have a better shot of meddling in a 10K over a 5K, especially when you look at the 5K internationally with what Safan I think Hassan might do the five. I don't know. Like, She's going to do both, I like, think. Yeah. They're both hard. So, They're both difficult to forecast. I mean, you got, you know, G'day and Hassan in the 10, and then you got uh, Gudaf Sagai probably and Safan Hassan in the five, and then you got Helen O'Beary. They're both going to be difficult. So, if I was them and I made it in both, I'd want to double my chances to run in both, and both doubles are doable. So I would think that they would keep their spots. But you have to like Cranny and Schweizer's chance and Schneider's chances in the 10K just based off of this performance. Because they're they're yeah, showing I mean, that they're in they're in shape and they're ready to roll. I mean, there's gonna be other people, namely someone like Emily Sisson, who's gonna be in the mix as well, too, which is gonna make it. I don't think it's gonna be the same three people but i would not be i would not be surprised if you know two are the same for sure what if all three are the same well it could be they're just running it they run it back but it could be 10k yeah but 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 then i think they will i will think they will run both of them at the in in tokyo right if if the double is possible i think it makes sense to give yourself the best possible chance to get a medal and there's not one clear path of, oh, this is the better, more navigable event versus the other. I'm trying to find the, where's our, where's our 10K start list? Do we have that somewhere? I don't know if we can find, find that because it's not on the actual. Yeah. I don't think they, they haven't announced the 10K start list yet because they're still working on whether or not they're going to do two heats or not. (laughs) Scratch. Um, (laughs) What what event is first though at the, at the Olympics? Is it the 10K or the 5K? I think it goes back to the old schedule of 10 and 5, but I don't have that one in. So 10K is first? Yeah. But again, they're going to be, they should be far enough apart to where you can do a. Both. Both. Yes. Yes. So. Well, yeah, I guess if the 5K is second, then there's no point in scratching it because you're more likely to scratch the 10K over the 5K to be more fresh for a five. Yeah, I just think it's a do. Yeah, it's a it's a doable double. They train for doubles like this, and as is the theme of this meet and the Olympics, you never know what's going to happen. You never know when um, opportunity for medal is going to open up just based on someone getting scratched, someone scratching, someone 
falling, someone getting hurt in the middle of the meet, and you want to just have as many possible opportunities as you as you can. So I, I would guess they would come back. You know, if they don't, obviously Cooper is just I mean, she's the the sentimental pick there based on how hard she worked to put herself in that position. You look at the women's five thousand results, there was a sixteen second gap between Cooper and everybody else. That is unheard of. I mean, find me another Olympic trials race where there's a 16 second gap between fourth and fifth. It just turned into two completely different races here. And then Bohalski, Hennis, Paquette, Norris, Jorgensen uh, were fourth or were five through nine, but they were just in an entirely different race there, 16 seconds back. So Cooper way closer to qualifying than she was to falling to fifth and, and a solid, solid uh, race on top of another amazing performance that she put out there, uh, just to get in this position. So yeah, I, I don't think it will work out that way, but we've certainly seen that it happened before, as you mentioned with, with her the last time around when Emily and felt scratched. Recap a couple more USA team members that have been, uh, Achieved, one or given or selected. Uh, the men's pole named. vault, Chris named, named, named. That's the word. Uh, men's pole vault, Chris Nielsen, Sam Kendricks, and Casey Lightfoot. Yeah, all make yep. the team. I think that's kind of chalk. No one really thought. I don't think there's any upsets there. With, I mean, Nielsen beat Kendricks. Nielsen winning, so yeah. Nielsen winning is an upset, but at the end of the day, the, those are the three that go through: Nielsen, Kendricks, and Lightfoot. The javelin throw, the top three were Curtis Thompson, Michael Shuey, and Riley Dolezal. Mm -hmm. So the men's uh, javelin is one of the weaker events for us as a country. And so to make Tokyo, let me double check what their rankings are. I'll tell you in five, four, three, two, one. Uh, so Michael Shuey and Curtis Thompson both are in the world rankings quota and Riley Dolezal is just on the outside. He's literally 33 with 32 going. So there's a chance all three of those guys get to go. The question will be, so the rankings you're looking at on the screen, those are the raw rankings. Travis, I should tell you another link to go to to kind of see where they actually are. That includes people who actually have the standard. But regardless, Curtis Thompson, Michael Shuey, and Riley Dolezal, two will probably go. Maybe all three will go to Rio. And then we had the men's triple jump. Well, Will Clay, mm -hmm. Donald Scott, and Chris Bernard all made it. Um, typical guys. That are, I mean, Will Clay, he's always been there. No Christian Taylor, obviously, this year with um, him dealing with his injury, which is a bummer. Uh, but it took 17 meters to qualify. Pretty impressive. And then men's steeple, where we kind of had a little bit of drama, man. Yeah, right? so so the the joke is always nothing happens in steeple prelims, and then you had back to back issues in the women's and then the men's steeple prelims. So I think I'm gonna have to stop saying that. Yesterday it was Courtney Frerichs falling. This time it was Sean McGordy losing his shoe. He said someone gave him a flat tire when he went over the water jump, and he did a couple barriers with it half on. And until he said, I just can't do this anymore. So he actually stopped to put on his shoe. Now, anybody who's tried to put on their shoe mid-race, it's mathematically and physically impossible to do it on the first try. We got the gif of it here too. So 
for all you who are like, man, why can't he get his shoe on? You try to do that in any race, let alone the Olympic trials. It is so hard because all you're thinking about is do it fast, do it fast. They're running away. The Olympics are away. They're Olympics. My Olympic dream is I'm losing my Olympic dream because someone stepped on my shoe. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And you're not thinking, okay, if I just undo my laces and take my time, I'll actually be quicker than if I try to rush this. But all you want to do is rush it because all this is your nightmare. This is what you wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of February thinking about if you're a distance runner, that and running in quicksand and your legs just stop working with 400 meters to go. But he gets running again, Gordon. He's st- and th- then we have drama, right? Then the whole race turns to, can he get into the top nine? The reason it was top nine was first four, five fastest plus the next four. People might've been saying, oh, top five, top five. But it was very clear those guys got away from him because you saw how long he was stopping there. It was about nine, 10 seconds that he was stopping. So he starts taking off and he starts passing people one by one, gets to that final 100 and he closed in 61 faster than anybody in the race. But he gets so close to getting past two more guys, Duncan Hamilton and Anthony Rotich. But then he has to go a little kind of wide and loses his momentum and he's just gassed. He's just gassed at that point. So he finishes 825-95. They interview him after, hey, you disappointed? Yeah. And then they just keep him there. Lewis Johnson gives him his chair, which is nice. So Sean McGordy sat in Lewis Johnson's chair to watch the next heat where he needed to not have anybody outside of the top five run fast in 825-95. We were watching it. We were following along with the splits, and it became clear about halfway through that it wasn't going to happen. And then you have the the final word. You know, McGordy says you never know up until the last lap, but it was pretty clear that he was going to make it uh, long before that because that second heat was one in 829, so four seconds faster than he ran. So he, talk about survive in advance. This is a guy who could make the Olympic team almost going out because of a shoe issue. One of the photographic moments was this moment where Jordan Mann, who looked, had the beard, looked like Jesus out there, again, his own baptism right there in the final barrier. Uh, You could see he almost had a smirk on his face after falling because he knew he was like, Oh, man, it's like one of those you're kind of laughing and sad at the same time. We just got to smile when you know it isn't going to happen. But uh, Jordan Mann was one of the stories of 2019 or 18, was it? When he had an incredible breakout steeple year. Uh, comes back here in 2021, try to make another make a team. Falls short, but uh, gave all of his effort. Yeah, and that's the steeple. You know, going for it all on that last barrier, trying to get that big push, and then you you fall. And, but yeah, so McGordy moves on. I think this is going to be a, a pretty competitive final here, Gordon. I mean, you got to think Updike and Bohr are going to be in the mix. McGordy will be there. And then Keeter, Furlick, maybe maybe someone like Daniel Mahalski. You know, he ran 822 today. Alec Bassin ran 822. A lot of uh, personal bests there in that, in that first heat, the McGordy heat. You said something interesting to me after – the first heat when McGordy fell, he said, hey, you think second heat's going to say, well, let's get, let's get this thing going. This is our chance. We can push out one of the favorites in this event, and it'll open up a spot. That requires a lot of organization, though, so they didn't end up doing that. But, so, but it would have made sense. It would have made sense if you had a volunteer to really push the pace because now you let McGordy hang around for another round and – he's going to probably get one of those three spots or at least be very, very competitive for them. 
All I'm saying is if you look at that second heat, Bernard Ketter, Mason Furlick, Obasa Ali, Brian Barraza, and Jackson Messler. If one of those guys finishes fourth in the final yeah. and McGordy is in the top three, they're going to think, gosh, why didn't I just run a little bit faster in our heat so that Jordan Cross, who finished sixth in, his, in the heat, could have replaced Sean McGordy, and then I would be top three instead of finishing fourth. Mm-hmm. I know it's a lot of mental gymnastics to put all like butterfly affecting on the men's steeple, but hey, that's that that's that's when you need a coach. That's when you need a coach to be like, all right, here's here's a plan. We got we have a way to knock out Sean McGordy. Let's go for it. We're gonna go an opening lap of 0.5 seconds five seconds faster because that is the algorithm you need in order to beat an 825, this, that, and the other thing. Boom. There goes there goes your Olympic dreams. Anyway, I'm just I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> now, now you're getting pretty wild about it, Gordon, I gotta be honest. Uh yeah, Jackson Messler makes it three time basket carrier going to USATF uh from you from Eugene and he uh moves on to the Final. You look at how fast McGordy ran, though. It would have been hard for someone in that second heat to run that quick. Eight eight twenty five is is moving for a steeple prelim, right? Like that that next guy, Jordan Cross, who was the that first one out, I guess you could say, or the the next best guy to, to push him out would have had to run ten seconds faster. That would have been ambitious. Yeah, but you look at what did Jordan Cross close in? Okay. Yeah, he could close in slower. All right, what did what did Jackson Messer close in? So like the top four all kind of closed similar. The top five in the second heat closed similar to the people who closed in the first heat. They just happen to have a ten second yeah buffer from the first seven laps. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying his PB is eight thirty, so we've he would have had a PB by by five seconds. Yeah. Too. So. Well, everyone in that first heat kind of PB'd. So that's true. Aston Good PB'd, counterpoint. Mahoney PB'd. Yeah. Hamilton lots of lots of PBs. By the way, I know people. We've gotten away from the shoe arguments because we're moving on to arguments about PEDs. Um, and I know people had, had, had well, people had conceded pretty much that the New Balance shoes were good and on par with Nike. But if you still were fighting the Nike shoes are unfair, nobody can match them. That women's fifteen hundred was interesting of note. New Balance, New Balance, New Balance. One, two, three. Yeah, men's 10K, though, was Nike, Nike, and then on running wearing <laughs> Nikes. And okay. the women's 5K was Nike, Nike, and I'm not sure what shoes Schweizer was wearing. Not Schweizer, uh, Schneider was wearing. Okay. I'm not sure, she, was she wearing Hoka's or was she wearing Nikes covered as Hoka's? I don't know. So I'm not a shoe. I'm not, all I'm, so wait, you're saying that the athlete who wears the shoe is relevant in the discussion, too? It's not just the shoe? That's what you're saying? I don't know. Yeah, crazy thought. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. But yeah, New, crazy, New Balance crazy got a good ad going for like uh, super shoes, huh? Question mark. And then just show them all crossing the finish line, top three. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Were there any other highlights or things we wanted to talk about on day number four? Because Tuesday and Wednesday are off days, Gordon. Yeah, man. Tuesday. Wednesday off day. We'll do a. We're gonna do a podcast Wednesday morning. We'll do a big mm-hmm. preview of the next four days. Um, we'll also maybe give some all stars. Maybe pick our starting our yeah. all stars of the meet so far. Something like that. 
Are there any other questions in the comments? I, I never look at the YouTube comments, especially oh, yeah, after yesterday, because I know Evan was dunking on my uh, my what? misconceived notion of being a Sixers fan, which I regret every day of my life now. Okay, there were a lot. It's like it's interesting to and put questions in the chat if you got them before we go. We'll go for a few more minutes if people have questions in the chat or things they want us to discuss. But it's like every the beginning of every chat. The people who are here just want to make fun of you about the Sixers. So as soon as I log on, the first ten comments, and today it was like Brazier's the Sixers. That's what I kept seeing. Oh which I was thinking not, that. I'm not gonna lie, I'm like, a well, that's not fair to Brazier. That's not fair to Brazier. Come on now, Brazier won a title. So let's not compare him to the Sixers. Come on, that's just mean. Anyway, if you got questions in the chat, uh, people want to know what happened to Evan Jager. He was hurt. Didn't run. He's hurt. Scratch the meat. There you go. Any hey, other questions? Bowerman, they 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 got four Olympians already now. What did we set the over under at for Bowerman? I don't know. Uh, someone wants to know where you got your haircut. Oh, Bird's Barbershop. I needed okay. one. It's been way too long. Someone thought I got a haircut, but it's just I don't have my these headphones stopped working on me for some reason. So I switched because when I have my headphones on, you can't really see my hair as much. But when I take them off, it makes my hair look shorter. So I did not recently uh, get a haircut. Uh, Murphy prediction for the games. Olympic for games. Olympics? Yeah. I'll say, I mean, if he runs like he did here, he win. But, mm -hmm. you know, Michael Cerrone's running well. I know kind of low-key won the Kenyan trials over Courier and yeah. the other, I forget who the other guy was, but I have a feeling one of the Kenyan guys is going to show up and be in that top three. And then, <coughs> you know, the British oh, guys are running well. Yeah, yeah, Giles. You so, got Lewandowski, like, lurking. Yeah. Jamie, yeah. I mean, there's a huge – if you – if this thing becomes like a 143 mid race, you open it up to a lot of contenders. Yeah. Yeah. Versus like versus what Brazier did, where he's just like, I'm wrong for it. Or like a Rudisha. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Tyler says, Can anyone from the 800 make it through the world rankings? No, because you only send three, and all three have the standard. Yeah. Everyone had the standard. So there's no world ranking situation. I mean, there is kind of one happening. Potentially in the in the men's javelin and the women's high jump because there are two people who are just outside the world ranking today, but that world ranking does not involve their Olympic trials performance. So you would think their Olympic trials performance might bump them into a world ranking and then they'll be selected. The question is, will USATF wait until – I would think they're probably going to wait to see what their world ranking is including when it includes their Olympic trials performance, because that would make most sense. Uh, they just don't know that world. They won't know that world ranking until the world athletics puts it out, which mm -hmm. I think they put up another update tomorrow on June 22nd, but maybe they wait to the end of this trials. I don't know. We'll see. Mm -hmm. uh, DC Noah do we think Jewett is going to attack the Olympics the way he has attacked NCAAs in the trials final? I hope he does. I think that's just the way he runs, and we've seen this with 800-meter runners in the past. Once they have a preferred style, they settle in. And before you say, oh, man, it's going to be a long season, just remember how long Bryce Hopple's season was in 2019. Yeah. Not to say that he's not susceptible to fatigue, and we could see him go out in the first round. That's certainly a possibility, but he could also make a late run. I still think right now I would put my money on Hopple and Murphy finishing ahead of him, 
at, at the Olympics, but, and I would not have guessed that Hoppel would have run all the way to fourth after his marathon season in 2019. Uh, how likely okay, here's is a question. Orlando- oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to have a question. You're not get, you don't get to ask questions. The people in the chat. All right, I'll save questions. my question for the podcast on Wednesday. I'll save it. Continue. Save it for when you hit hang up and then, and then you just come downstairs and talk to me about it. Uh, <laughs> Orlando says, how likely are Lyle's chances to make the 200 Benaric, Curly, and Laird with a chance? Yeah. I, they're a lot lower than they were before. I mean, I had them at 99.999. I was so confident. I was willing to put out a significant wager of my home on it, not just making winning, but winning the the Olympics. He said, where's Lyles' tweet? He tweeted something today. Travis, can we pull up the the, the, the tweet from Lyles? This made me feel good. And I and you might be saying, well, what's he going to say? Of course he's going to say this. But uh, how did he describe what his 200 is going to be? He said, uh, da, 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 da. there it is, there it is, there it is. For everyone who is worrying about my mental, don't worry, I'm good. I gave my all and I'm healthy. Of course I want to make the 100, but it wasn't meant to be this year. But I will tell you this, 200 will be disgusting. And I like that he described it as being disgusting. He didn't just say the 200 is going to be amazing or epic or awesome. He said disgusting. So I feel good about him in the 200. And isn't it, is, isn't it interesting how we use certain words that mean something that they don't actually don't mean? Like remember yes. like in the 90s when everyone said that's fat with a PH yeah. and that meant cool? Here, this disgusting means badass in this, in this situation, I guess, right? It's going to be amazing. Disgusting. That means amazing. The English language is uh, wild, man. Uh, thoughts on Cranny dedicating her run to Houlihan? I didn't see that. We were getting set up. That must have been during the, the poster. I'm guessing the post race on camera interview. You know, the Batman people have been asked by the media in the mix zone about Shelby, and a lot of them are, you know, they're basically saying the same thing that they support her. They feel horrible. This has been weighing on them for, is it five months about that they've been, that they've heard that this issue was going on? I guess the, when was the positive test come back? My timelines, January, I think was the notification. So five months makes sense. Uh, and they want to focus on their race and they feel, you know, obviously terrible. And then they move on from there. So obviously people have seen what they posted on, on social media um, as well. So they all support her. They all have her back. I don't think there's been, um, people in that group who have gone in the other direction, or if they, or I, I know some, you know, didn't post anything, but the ones who are talking about it are obviously throwing a bunch of support her way. Jenny Simpson was asked, and she kind of hedged. Um, if you, if you watch, the interviews on the website, we'll put up on YouTube as well. But watch the whole Jenny Simpson interview to see, because Jenny Simpson is one of those notorious like anti-doping advocates. Whenever someone tests positive, she's always very on the forefront of promoting clean sport. And she did say, like, you know, she used the phrase, like, it's not, picking our team is not a popularity contest, I guess, implying yeah. that liking the athlete that caught, got caught potentially, or not caught, I guess, as of now, doping, um, according to Kaz that you can't just say, oh, but you're popular, so we don't want to believe it. Yeah. But she didn't do the, what – she didn't react – I'm going to be honest here. She didn't react the way she reacts to, like, other people who have been accused of doping with a very, like, blunt get out. She did be a little more balanced. And I guess that just shows that Jenny Simpson also is human, that 
when you are when you know someone for so well and you race against them all the time, it's a lot easier to be anti-doping when you never heard the person before or you've never watched them race or they train in another country that you never see them. But when it's someone that you see every day or it's someone that you've been following throughout, it just feels different. So um, these athletes are human. They're going to become off hypocritical. And I think all of us are hypocritical. We're going to be, we're not, you know, a ref isn't going to call a foul the same way on one player or the other. It just, it's just, it's just human nature. Um, mm -hmm. That's why whenever these situations happen, the Gordon Mack take, regardless of if I believe you or not, is always, I don't know. Because in the end, I don't know. I mean, look at this. Throw this up, Travis. Those, those screenshots. Yeah, this is 2019. After I mean, NLP, the, got him the, out. The, that was about Salazar. She didn't say get. She didn't say get Shelby out. She kind of mm -hmm. did a little more political take on it. So well, and I think with Salazar, it was that was years in the making, right? It was a little bit different scenario than yeah. something she found out about two weeks ago. To to give a little bit more of a broader perspective on, it. I do agree with your point about people being human and people being susceptible to believing certain uh, athletes over the other. I mean, you're just like, you're going to, like, if you're a, a teammate, like you're going to have that perspective um, <clears throat> and you do not have that perspective. You're right. If it's someone who's in a different part of the world that runs a different event, it's just not going to be, not going to be the same, but yeah, let's see if we got a couple other questions here. The huts on Juvon Harrison and the high jump or long jump. He's going to do good. And I think he is going to win. Um, three favorites in the men. Five, I'm going to save that. I'm going to say one of the topics we're going to do is which predictions would you have changed for the last four days based on what we saw in the first four days? I think that's something we're going to do on Wednesday morning's show, Gordon. Um, can Amos win gold? That's a good question. I think he's in the mix. Um, someone typed in Brazier didn't make it. Yes. Welcome to the show. It's good to see you. <laughs> Uh, someone asked, are we brothers? Hawaiian time zone or something? Hawaii time zone know. right there? Uh, we are not brothers. Where did this thing most sign? We don't know. I think that's it. I think we, I think Yo, we got to pretty much all of them. Yes. Did you like the, did you like this tweet I tweeted? Where is it? It's on our screen right now. Put it up. Oh yeah. This is a decent tweet from you. I didn't know you did it. It was good. So I thought it was Travis, uh, Lyles, Norman, Curly. No, hit report on that tweet. Uh, <laughs> oh, and then Michael Norman responds, four by one, question mark, question mark. Yeah, this yeah, goes so back. You had, you had one of your ideas, like one of your ideas that was, I'd say it's a, it's in the 55th percentile of your bad idea. So it was not that bad of an idea. Then that people could form their own US four by one teams and they would race the four by one at trials. So it wouldn't automatically just be, you know, the four fastest and then you have your pool. Like, Lyles can recruit a team and Curly can recruit a team and Norman can – or whoever. You just form your team yeah. and that way you train together. And then the 4 by one the 4 by 4 would be actually at the Olympic trials. Now, the team would not obviously be fast, but they would complete the race at a higher rate, you'd think, because they have more reps and then people would recruit different people. But this is a wild stat. And you think about at the beginning of the Let's year, I know we talked about – yeah. For people listening to the audio, they, they can't see this. Why don't you tell them what the stat says? Oh, Lyles, 986 PB in the 100. Norman, 986. Curly, 986. They all have the same PB, and it's just – it underscores the whole thing. 
I mean, the, the noteworthy part there is Fred Curley, right? Because we knew what Lyles was. Uh, Norman's obviously came previous. But just the fact that Curley is on the 100 team and Lyles isn't is one of those things where you say, if you told me that in the beginning of the year, I would not have believed it. Yeah, it's wild. And Michael Norman responded to this Instagram doing four yes. by one question mark, which makes you think like, hey, could we get Michael Norman to do a four by one, four by four? I mean, we have, as Serenity said yeah. it, like two potential Allison Felix types in Fred Curley and Michael Norman with being the 400, 100 uh, mm -hmm. stranglehold, being both, in, both good in both events. So. Well, you talk about you talk about the women's four by four. You could create a non four hundred meter team that would be pretty good. You could do that in the men's four by one here because you you want to put Lyles on the main four by one team. But if you kept him off based on where he finished, right? So you could have a four by one team where you have Lyles, Norman, and then fill in the other two pieces with whoever you want, and it would still be damn good. Now it's a little little different than that women's four by four scenario because the A team would have the best guy in in Trayvon Bromel. But it's funny, it's fun to think about USA B teams and if they could put B teams out there, how interesting it would be. Um, what? Hold on one second. We got another question here. Oh, is there a post fifteen hundred meter interview of Jenny Simpson? Yes. If it's not up on the site, it'll be up soon. It's from. The mix zone, so they're wearing the weird headsets and it's in low resolution, but you can hear clearly what she said and you can you can watch that up on the site shortly. Um, all right, any last thoughts, Gordon, before we go? No, let's take a 48-hour sabbatical and we'll be back Wednesday morning. Yeah, Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time for our off-day episode. We'll recap, we'll give out some awards, but we'll also predict what's coming up next. Thank you to Alon for producing. Thank you to Travis as always. Thanks everybody who's watching live. Subscribe to the FlowTrack Podcast YouTube channel if you haven't yet. We're just getting going. We got five more Olympic trial shows. Talk to you guys on Wednesday morning. Download the app.